welcome to a special Last Call episode of Cinemaholics. Last Call is when we devote an entire bonus segment of the show to reviewing just one new movie coming out. In this case, we have a packed weekend ahead with too many releases to cover in just one standard episode of Cinemaholics, which is coming later this week. So we decided to devote this last call to the new film, Mary Poppins Returns, from Disney. I am John Groney, regular co-host of Cinemaholics. I write novels, film reviews, and nonsensical tweets. And with me once again, Will Ashton, our resident film critic from Cinema Blend, Cutprint Film, The Playlist, joins us as always. Hello, Will. Hey, John. How are you? Fantastic. And we have a special guest, longtime friend of the show, bona fide cinemaholic herself. She is the editorial lead for Adam Tickets and a contributor to Forbes, Birth, Movies, Death, Marvel.com, and so many more. Welcome back to Cinemaholics, Alicia Grasso. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, before we get started, let's hear just a short clip of Mary Poppins Returns. What is it, Georgie? Has something happened? I was blowing the kite when I got caught on a nanny. Whatever are you talking about? Come, come look. Wait, where did you get that kite? I found it in the park. She kept it from blowing away. Mary Poppins. Oh, close your mouth, please, Michael. We are still not a codfish. <laughs> Jane Banks, still rather inclined to giggle, I see. Good heavens, it really is you. You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? How incredibly rude. All right, that was from the new Disney film, Mary Poppins Returns, the very long-awaited sequel to the 1964 Disney classic, Mary Poppins, starring Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. This new film sees the iconic role now taken on by Emily Blunt, along with a stellar cast that includes Lin-Manuel Miranda, Emily Mortimer, Ben Wishaw, Colin Firth, and a few more surprises we're better off not spoiling. So before we start talking about the new film in more detail, including the plot and, of course, our takeaways, I want to hear from each of you, starting with Alicia. What is your emotional baggage, if there is any, (laughs) with the original Mary Poppins film? And uh, how did that paint your expectations for this re-exploration of the material? Um, I have no emotional baggage for this movie. So I, I tend, I'm probably the wrong person to ask this question because I tend to be a very non nostalgia driven sort of person, uh, in the first place. So I don't really ever take the expectations from a previous movie into a remake or a sequel, especially not something like this. That's being made literally decades later it's never going to be the original um and so i i just i kind of went into it just hoping it was its its own thing and just kind of leaving all that out the door so i don't really think i carried much you know in the way of expectations with me okay so it sounds like you're poppins neutral which uh i am i'm very i'm very mm. poppins yeah poppins (laughs) neutral okay and uh, what about you will ashen yeah uh it's interesting i feel like it is one of the most iconic Disney films, and I certainly feel that way. But when I like think of Disney iconic films, like the first things that come to my mind are like um, Snow White, The Lion King, Cinderella, stuff like that. But especially rewatching this movie before the new one, like the shot of like uh, the house like cleaning itself up or um, the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious musical number, um, like those really vividly stick in my mind. And I... I think I almost take for granted how much this movie has been a part of my childhood. Cause I definitely remember we watching a lot 
but it didn't really hit me until I was awaiting this film that I was like, oh yeah, this is a big part of my childhood. Yeah, I, I have a very complicated Mary Poppins past because I don't know about you two, but Mary Poppins, and I was talking about this with my mother yesterday, I I did not grow up with Mary Poppins being a thing in my house because that was the movie that my older siblings watched. And I by the time I was old enough to appreciate it, I felt like I was too old for it. Right. We didn't have the VHS or anything like that. I think they saw it on TV or something. So I went years and years and years because when I discovered my love of like older film in middle and high school, again, I I thought I was too old for Mary Poppins. I was like, oh, that's that Disney movie. Oh, yeah. Bed knobs and broomsticks. Probably better. I liked that one. Whatever. Mm. And I know there are some hot takes you'll find of people who enjoy that film more. And I, I dare not blaspheme them here, but I definitely disagree hundred percent. But anyway, I actually, I discovered Mary Poppins in college. I, I remember watching it for the, the first time, like all the way through, not just bits and pieces here and there, like I did growing up and you would see it on the Disney channel or something. I actually watched the whole thing and I fell in love with this movie so fast. Uh, I think I've seen it dozens of times now in my adult life. And it's one of those films that has always been in my top 10 films of all time since I felt like I could even make a list like that. I I adore the Mary Poppins film as a musical, as a Disney film. I think it's one of the best Disney films ever made. It's one of the best movies ever made. And I think it's one of the best musicals ever made. So my expectations were sky high with this sequel, which I've, I've always thought would be a great idea, assuming that they would do it in a way that really makes sense to the original story and how they could push that a bit further. So Let's get into that. Let's talk about what this film is about. So Mary Poppins Returns takes place about 20 or so years after the events of the original. Michael and Jane Banks from the first film, they're all grown up. Michael is played by Ben Mishaw. He's now a single, widowed father. He has three kids of his own. Jane, his sister, is now played by Emily Mortimer. And she has sort of the same activist spirit of her mother. Her mother was the suffragette uh, worker person in the in the first film, the activist And in this one, Emily Mortimer stands up for workers' rights. It's 1930s London. That's kind of our setting here. She comes by the house from time to time. She helps out with the live-in housekeeper, Ellen. She was in the original film portrayed by Hermione Badley. Here she's played by Julie Walters. So anyway, it is a very dysfunctional family, but it's also, you can tell it's a very loving, kind of charmingly chaotic family. It's very different from the first film. It's not quite the same. This George Banks character was very different from what they're doing with how Michael grew up, which kind of feels pretty realistic. They all live in the same Banks house on, I think it's 17 Cherry Tree Lane. And so the canon is still going off. The neighbors are still the same. They've really brought in all of those nods from the first film. And I actually kind of noticed, and maybe you two will disagree, I think the three children that belong to Michael are a bit more behaved and polished, at least the two older ones. The two older ones are played by Pixie Davies and Nathaniel Saleh. Their characters' names are Annabelle and John, respectively. The younger third child is more of the wild spirit, like his dad. Uh, He's played by Joel Dawson. His name is Georgie, of course, the namesake to George Banks. So anyway, regard to the plot, Michael Banks, he's at his wit's end with the financial and emotional fallout of his wife's death. It's only been about a year. So Mary Poppins arrives right on time to remind him of what's important in life. And again, very different from the Saving Mr. Banks plotline from the first film, but we do see a similar series of whimsical events that we got in the first film. The children go off on magical adventures that are more about parental lessons than they are lessons for kids, but it does sort of do both. 
And along the way, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Jack, who is the film's kind of successor successor for Dick Van Dyke's Burt, is their eccentric neighborhood friend slash lamplighter. He joins in on the musical numbers and gets a surprise subplot with one of the other main characters. So that is a lot of movie to cover. I suspect Alicia and Will, you each have a lot to comment on. I want to start with you, Alicia. What was your general impression of Mary Poppins Returns? You know, I really, I have to admit, I went into the movie having a kind of a bad day. And it was just a stressful day at work and other things happened. And I came out of it just feeling better about life in general. I personally loved it, but I can understand why people didn't. I know we'll probably get into some of the criticisms of it later. To me, this movie was one you had to go into and checking your cynicism out the door. And I think some people made the mistake of viewing it through the lens of the first one. And for me, I was saying you know, that this movie, as I was watching it, I loved it, but I was like, but I was acutely aware that this movie wasn't for me. This movie was for an entirely new generation of children. So it was a really interesting, I guess, kind of relationship I had with it because I personally loved it. I can understand why people didn't, but I also think that if people didn't, it's because they forgot that the movie wasn't really for them and that the entire point of the movie was to kind of set aside that adulthood cynicism and embrace whimsy and lightheartedness. For me, it really worked and I really thought it was delightful, but it also weirdly felt like it didn't have a lot of substance. I'm not sure if all of that makes sense, <laughs> but for me, it was just, you know, I guess it was, you know, the TLDR version is it was the kind of lighthearted, whimsical movie that I, you know, it was what it was and it was what I exactly would, what I needed at the time. And I don't know that I'll go back and watch it again and again, but I can see kids watching it again and again. And I think that's great. Yeah. I, I've seen the film twice now and I'll say before we go to Will, that my opinion on it has kind of changed a little bit on second viewing because I I really was agreeing with a lot of what you were saying, Alicia, the first time I saw it. But Will, I want to hear from you. Uh, mm-hmm. Mary Poppins Returns, where are you at with this one? Uh, I'm not too far uh, from Alicia. I think I'm just a little more negative, but not negative in the sense I dislike the film. I just don't think I was uh, taken away by it quite as much. Um, it's certainly a respectful sequel to the original. I, I feel like maybe even to a fault like it's like so cautious mm-hmm. about like escaping the original shadow that like it doesn't really do anything too different or anything that might offend or upset anybody and i think that kind of leads to like the lack of substance that we were talking about earlier just like it's so earnestly trying to be like in the box of being like this is what everyone who's the fans would like but no one will get upset about this but as it stands i think it's very charming I think it has a good heart. I enjoyed the set pieces. I think the performances are very charming. I think Emily Blunt does a very good job. And I especially enjoyed uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda as well, particularly in that he uh, kept Dick Van Dyke's uh, Cockney British accent. I like that he didn't (laughs) change it one bit. Um, And I think that was fun. And also Dick Van Dyke's cameo was pretty great as well, um, as are all the cameos in the film. But at the same time, there's something about it I found kind of exhausting Maybe it was that earnestness. Maybe it was like that sincere, like doing everything in its power to like be as good hearted as possible and like having like 10 musical numbers like back to back to back. There's just something about it that. I remember at the end of the film, like I was entertained by it. I felt good. I, I had that sense of like, oh, yeah, this is what a movie can be from Disney. But at the same time, I was like, I'm 
I also kind of ready for a nap. Like I was a little tired. <laughs> Relentless like, optimism. Yeah. A cinematic I, food coma, maybe. Yeah, maybe it. Maybe that's it. But I just remember feeling like. I guess it would be a spoonful of sugar crash. There it is. Yeah, it it didn't like make me like oh wow like this is like amazing. I'm full of energy. Just like okay, this is good. But like let me just take a snooze. I'm just exhausted by everything. Maybe I'm just like tired by like the amount of work that had to be done to make this movie because it's clear that it's clear that they had to do a lot as far as writing original songs and uh performing those song and dance and all that but yeah it's fun i think it's definitely a good family film i think it's an enjoyable piece of uh disney entertainment but i don't think it's going to be a classic in the same way that i consider the original mary poppins a classic i don't know i i think that a lot of kids are going to see this and for them this is going to be their mary poppins and i think that they're going to have a deep, deep love for this movie. I don't know if that means it'll be a classic, like you're saying. I think we can all sort of agree that that original Mary Poppins is untouchable. And I don't think, I think it would be a huge, huge expectation to expect anything else. But I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm a little bit more unabashedly in love with this movie. Like I'm not as ashamed to, to kind of express, not that you all are ashamed or anything, but I'm feeling much more enthusiastic, I guess, about how much I like this one in the second viewing, because the first viewing, I walked out of it really feeling like it came up short in a lot of ways, and yet it was so long at the same time. I thought that the last 30 minutes or so were almost ruinous for the movie. I I didn't like how they wrapped things up. I didn't like that it went on and on with music numbers that I didn't think it needed, and I, I just wanted it to be a little bit tighter. And it kind of reminded me of my own experience with the original Mary Poppins, which I had an inkling of and I had experience in small ways before. But the first time that I really sat with it and kind of took it on its own terms as more of an adult, that's when I kind of embraced it and started to really love it. And I really love this movie, even though I I recognize a lot of the shortcomings. I just I think it's so lovable. And we were kind of debating this sort of before the show, Will, about the music I, I thought the music here was really good. I was really impressed. And I Rob Marshall isn't somebody that has really wowed me in the past, but the I forget their names, but I know this is the same musical team that did Hairspray, which is one of my favorite musicals in the last 10 years. I, I think that that's a fantastic musical when you just judge it on its actual songs. And the songs in here I'm in love with, and I wanted to play a clip from one of the songs just to prove my case, but we're a little bit worried about the legalities concerning that. Regardless, Alicia, what did, what did you think of the music, and, and what about Emily Blunt? We haven't really talked about her yet and how she takes on this role. So I really love the music, and it's um, Mark Scheiman, by the way. And I really enjoyed the music. I found myself humming it as I, as I left. As far as Emily Blunt, you know, I really appreciated that she played Mary Poppins a lot closer to, because a lot of people don't realize or don't know, I think, that these are actually based on real, a real book series. And in the novels, and this is something that Emily Blunt actually said at the the press junket, she said that, you know, she was reading the books and Mary Poppins is a lot more like complicated and kind of prickly. And I, I like that Emily Blunt played her a little bit more. She said, look, she's like, I am not going to be Julie Andrews. And to the, to the credit of, or, you know, to, 
touch upon everything that uh, you you were both saying, you and Will were saying about it kind of, you know, being beholden to the original. They basically all said during the, the press junket, like, look, we knew we were kind of damned if we didn't, damned if we didn't. So we just decided to do what we wanted to do. And, you know, it was what it was. But Emily Blunt herself said she knew she'd never be Julie Andrews. So she had to play it her own way. And so she went a lot more close to the novels uh, where Mary Poppins is a little bit more, a little bit more prickly, a little bit more, a little bit more tart, a little bit more complicated and kind of cocky almost, a little bit more flirtatious. And I really appreciated that. It almost, you know, it almost threw me at first. And then I was like, oh no, you know what? She's actually playing her a lot more like the actual version of Mary Poppins from the original novels. And I I learned to, as the movie went on, I kind of, I really appreciated it because I thought she did a good job of balancing that kind of standoffishness and kind of cockiness a little bit with the moments where you could see her genuine compassion for the kids shining through. So I, I thought she did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the spirit of her character is her unpredictability. It's like, you never really quite know which emotion or which type of dialogue delivery she's going to do next, which is what makes her a dynamic character. Even though at the same time, she's static. She doesn't really change. She doesn't have an arc. This is the kind of character that can sometimes fall flat for people because they're not as interested in characters who don't change throughout the course of a story. But we kind of almost see how Mary Poppins operates as that archetype. She's a character who sort of adapts to what the characters need in that moment. In the first movie, Jane and Michael... They're, they they need a different nanny style. They're, they're not the same kids as in Mary Poppins Returns. And I really appreciated even the first viewing that in the, in the way that she deals with the kids in this one is different. And it sort of does require a little bit more of some of that prickliness, but also she really is trying to get them to be more imaginative and to stop trying to pretend to be like adults, which ties into the main story, which I, I slightly disagree with some of the, some of your criticism will on it, not having substance. I thought there was some substance. I don't think it was as satisfying as it probably should have been to your credit, but I do think there was something there about how the kids are coping with their grief by trying to act to adult. And Mary Poppins is sort of, a, is sort of reminding them through these songs and lessons of like, okay, you can be helpful and you can be there for your dad and your aunt, but at the same time, you still need to be kids. And the first Mary Poppins was slightly different than that because she needed to be for those characters. And I I think that's what's kind of working for me with this film. Do you agree, disagree? No, I generally agree. I mean, I don't disagree per se, but uh, yeah, I just I think it's not so much what the movie is uh, communicating, but rather that doesn't really stick with me. And I guess like comparison wise, like something like Paddington 2 kind of does some similar things. But I feel like Paddington 2 has stuck with me a lot longer than Mary Poppins Returns has. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have a theory for that. And I think I think it's because Paddington 2 is a little bit more British. And I think you feel that setting a bit more if we're going to like compare the films. And even though I like what Mary Poppins Returns is doing, I think Paddington 2 has a much better sense of identity and place that Mary sure. Poppins Returns doesn't. And that's kind of a carryover flaw from the original. Not that I want to besmirch the original in any respect. I think that that's something that maybe they could have improved upon on the sequel. And that might be a missed opportunity. Apparently Ben Wishaw is just doing all the feel good family. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy right. that. Um, ben Wishaw and Colin Farrell got to, or not Colin Farrell, Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. Yeah. Uh, got to act in here. Cause those are two Paddington actors uh, showing that they're okay with each other. <laughs> I didn't enjoy that. that. Was, you know, that was one thing I did want to say the one 
maybe criticism I have about the movie is I feel like it didn't have a whole lot of story to it because it was just a lot of musical numbers. It was just song after song after song. So I do kind of agree with Will in that sense that I was, there were times in the movie I was like, okay, we're going to get some like dialogue or nope. Okay. Another song, but it's a very thought, simple plot. Yeah. Very simple. But I thought that Ben Wishaw in particular did a lot with a little. I think he's a really good actor for that. And I think he really centered the movie emotionally in in the the widower who was still up in his grief and trying to keep his family together. But I thought that his scenes like of a father who's a generally compassionate person, but definitely just lost. I thought he did a really, really good job with that. The scene where he was upstairs in the attic, like just singing to his his late wife and yeah. kind of wondering where she's gone. Like that that broke my heart. And I was just like, man, he is so good at He's been so good at like taking the, the small scenes he has and just kind of running with them and kind of pulling the emotion into the movie. So for me, he was actually the emotional anchor of the movie, less so than Mary Poppins and like the kids and stuff. Yeah, there there were two moments in this film that made me had to uh, wipe my eyes a little bit. Uh, the attic scene was absolutely one of them. I just thought that the the musical touch to it was such a great restrained use of a musical format to put us in his head and put us in his emotions. But then the second thing, and you know, Alicia, you mentioned before, like you had gone into this having sort of a bad day. I felt like I went into this having like a bad couple of years and (laughs) I was so ready. I was ready to see Mary Poppins again. I I won't deny it. And it still gets me every time I see this moment, I've watched the clip several times, but when she comes in through the clouds, they're bringing, him, bringing her in through the kite. When the music swells, and it's a combination of Spoonful of Sugar and kind of the big showstopper in this one, and can you imagine that? When it's all like blended together, that that's a moment that like gives me chills, and I, I won't deny it. it. It really worked on me. And I don't know if that says more about me than anybody else, but yeah, for this film, I recommend this one wholeheartedly. I think that people should go see it that uh, have any interest in it or love the original. And I think most people are going to walk away from it either barely liking it. Uh, I I think there have been a lot of like really negative reviews, but what do you make of that, Will? Do you think that those hyper negative, this movie shouldn't exist reviews, do you kind of see where they're coming from? Or like, what do you, what do you make of those reactions? Well, there's always going to be somebody in this case that's going to be like, well, she's not Julie Andrews or well, it's not the original. And I guess it's kind of the same uh, thing that happened with Solo earlier this year with Olden Overridge, where he had this kind of almost impossible task of filling in for Harrison Ford. And so I think as far as uh, and you said criticism, Ald- it's Alden Ehrenreich. Did you say Erdrich? I, I knew I was going to mispronounce it. So <laughs> might as well just go I, all the way with mispronouncing. Right. Yeah. I just like what I just, yeah. But um, no, I, I, to answer your point, I, I think there's, always going to be like some kind of cynicism, which uh, Alicia mentioned earlier. So I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not just necessarily in disagreement with them, but I think there's enough to win you over to appreciate this movie for what it's trying to do. All right. Well, uh, yeah, Will, why don't you just finish out with your final thoughts and uh, how would you grade this one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have my complaints. I wasn't over the moon about it the same way that I feel like I fell in love with the original film as a child. But then again, I'm not a child anymore. And I know that it's not made for me, like Alicia said. So I enjoyed it. I think it's sweet. It's gentle. It's good hearted. It has a lot of chipper aspirations. And um, I think I can appreciate for what it's doing. I know that it's not going to be the original for me and I didn't expect it to be the original. So as a film, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's by any means perfect, but um, 
I think in a couple years I would be inclined to see it again. So I give it, uh, I'll give it a firm, solid B minus. Okay. Yeah. I, I wonder if part of it is, you know, if you watched the movie, the original as a kid and really loved it, then maybe it's just very tough to like it just as much as an adult, because I think watching the original as adult kind of sort of taught me how to like watch this movie. Maybe, I don't know if that could be part of it because watching Mary Poppins returns, I did find it very satisfying. And I hope that a lot of the new generation watching it is also full of adults who maybe never saw the original like I did, or maybe they saw it pretty recently, like I did, like in the last decade or so. So yeah, I think there's a lot here to really like. Uh, I give it a pretty firm, heartfelt, enthusiastic B, just because I don't think it has that cross-pollination that the original has. Because I think one thing about the original was that it wasn't just kids who loved that movie. It was adults, too. And Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins, the original was universally beloved, no matter your age. And I can't say that Mary Poppins returns manages the same thing. And it might not really be its fault. You know, it doesn't have the surprise factor. It's being made in a totally different age. And I think some people will say the music just isn't all the way there. It's not like greatest showman, for example, which people just really got on board with that one because of the music. And I think Maybe in the same way people will with Mary Poppins Returns, and I hope they do. I think the music is much better, personally. But yeah, firm B for me, and then Alicia, close us out. I'd have to say it's it's probably a solid B for me as well, for many of the same reasons you listed. I went into it knowing that I'm like, okay, I cannot watch this movie as an adult, you know, as a 38-year-old woman in 2018. I have to watch this as, you know, and accept it for what it is, not what I want it to be. And I think that for what it is and what it's trying to be, it absolutely nailed it. It wanted to be a lighthearted, sweet, you know, heartfelt, you know, movie that had it's 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 possibly the least cynical movie I have watched in a decade. And <laughs> that's Paddington. I haven't seen Paddington. Oh, finally I it comes out. Yeah, do it. I just something about Paddington and I know this is going to make a hypocrite of me. It just seems so twee and so overly cutesy that I just, I didn't particularly care for the first one. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you haven't seen Paddington too, is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I, so I don't know, like I, I give it a B and I think for what it is, it was, it absolutely nailed it. But you mentioned that maybe the time, I, I think that for this time, I can see why people might not love it. Like, I think people are either going to come into it going, that is exactly what I needed. I absolutely needed something that had no cynicism whatsoever. Or they're going to walk out of it just unable to let go of that last bit of kind of, of cynicism and going like, I just couldn't connect with this movie. So I think if you let a lot of your preconceived notions aside, you'll love it. But I'm not sure that people will be able to do that. So I would say, I would say solid B. Yeah, I I forgot to mention this, but yeah, I think part of that like timeliness of the movie isn't really there just because this does feel like the sequel they wanted to do way, way before this. Like there's nothing about the story here that feels like for this audience in this time period. I think like Mm -hmm. this movie could have come out in 1974 or 1984, what have you. Uh, It doesn't really feel like a generational leap, really. 
And that's probably because they had this story in mind and Disney just wasn't ever able to make it because of the conflicts with P.L. Travers and the original author. And they wanted to do a sequel. It didn't happen. We mentioned Bed yeah. and Broomsticks. That's kind of why that movie basically happened. I was going right? to ask. Yeah, I was going to ask why they didn't end up making a sequel because it seemed like a given. given and, uh, you know, it, was, it was interesting, too, because I thought, man, this movie made such, an, a, such a deliberate choice to not lean into the... Um, kind of grittiness of of even whatsoever of modern movies because it was set during the depression. Yeah, I mean that's why they were losing their house. Like that was never made overt, but it was set during a time where you know, you know, in America and London, like times were really tough, and it was hard to find work. And it was after the war and before the next war, and you know, between the great wars. And that's something that most movies would have leaned into or at least touched upon, and they never even mentioned it. And so right. it, they played it, it safe. Feels almost a little odd that they didn't touch upon that now since things now are so political and social and historical. Yeah. Yeah. It could, I think to a lot of people, it could be a missed opportunity or it could be something you don't even notice because the time period in some ways feels kind of nebulous and kind of on purpose. Like they're pretty vague about when this takes place, maybe so they can avoid having to put that into the plot as overtly, even though it is sort of there and the greediness of the banks and all of that stuff. So, uh, so we, we reached out to Cinemaholics and I want to read one review that somebody sent us. We asked for a tweet size reviews of this film to hear what you had to say uh we got one from this uh twitter user named jeff movie snowman jeff said i very much enjoyed it but of course it doesn't hold a candle to the original it has some flaws and does follow a lot of the same beats as the original but it does a good job as a whole didn't really bother me i'd say it was super califragilisticexpialidocious yeah not not just califragilisticexpialidocious no super califragilis so I, I appreciate your review jeff thanks for writing in and I guess that'll do it for this review. Uh, it sounds like a pretty solid B average from us. But so that will do it for this last call. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Alicia, for spending the time with us. We'll see you all in just a few days for our next main episode. But until then, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com. You can email us your comments and personal movie reviews. The Cinemaholics podcast at gmail.com. You can find links to our social media profiles like Facebook and Twitter, as well as ways to support our podcast on Patreon below wherever you're listening in the show notes. See you next time.